This week, again, we are continuing to give shurim based on, and we'll have this for another couple of weeks, the parshot uh, that we're reading in Israel. And this week we're reading parshat Balak, which is really the story of Bilam. And the Gemara refers to it as, as parshat Bilam. And I'd like to look at some global things about the whole story. Now, to quickly recap, this is a unique story. And as a matter of fact, there's a statement in Chazal that seems to point to it. In the famous sugya that we've seen a number of times in the, the end of the first paragraph of Batra that talks about the authors of the different books of the Bible, it makes the statement that Moshe katav sifro uparshat bil'am, for Eov. That Moshe is the author of Eov, Moshe is the author of his book, which we assume is the Torah, and parshat bil'am. And of course, everybody raises their hands. Well, what do you mean? Bil'am is in the Torah. What do you mean he wrote his sefer and bil'am? So there's a division among the Rishonim of how to understand it. Some, the Ritva makes the suggestion, says there was some other book called Parshat Bilam that Moshe authored, and we don't have it anymore. Uh, but other Rishonim take the approach of saying Bilam is the one story in which B'nai Israel aren't even in the background. They're not there. It's a story that takes place totally away from the stars of the show. And therefore, the idea is that Moshe not only wrote Sifro, he also wrote that story in the Torah of Parshat Bilam. <clears throat> and so uh, Bilam itself is a fascinating story, and it's made up really of three parts. Uh, besides the, ep- the Koda, which has nothing to do with Bilam, really, perhaps um, later midrashically we connect it. But within the story itself, there are three parts. The first part of the story is the entreaty, which is the request of uh, basically the king of Moab, although the elders of Midian are involved at the very beginning, to try to get Bilam to come and curse B'nai Israel. And the second part, which follows directly from the first part, is the famous donkey scene, which we've dealt with several times, how to understand that. But the third part, of course, is the main kishkas of it, which is Bilam, Balak, a bunch of altars, a bunch of korbanot, a bunch of attempts to curse B'nai Israel and a bunch of brachot. Now, I'm saying a bunch and being kind of flip about it, but if you take a look here, you could see the what I've done is I've given you basically the whole story, skipping the whole donkey scene. And the first section, which is in the black highlighted um, font, meaning with the white font and the black background, uh, is the introduction, which is the entreaty. And I just took you to the very beginning of the entreaty. Then I skip to the end of chapter 22 and go through all of chapter, the rest of 22, all of 23, and all of 24, which takes us through the uh, the scene of the blessing and the curse. Now, in that scene, you can see that I've highlighted the actual words of the blessings. Um, and we see that there are four of them here. And we're going to take a look at the relationship between these blessings, but I want to start with a couple of assumptions that I think we all come to the table when studying the story of Bilam. We come with these assumptions, and I think that they are probably at least questionable, if not incorrect. Assumption number one, and this is an audience participation one. Assumption number one, what was Balak's goal? What did Balak want to accomplish? I know he wanted Bilam to curse B'nai Israel. To what end? What do you think? He wanted the Jews destroyed. He wanted the Jews destroyed, exactly. 
That's the common uh, conception. And I think we're going to demonstrate successfully that that's not the case. Uh, I'm not saying he would have shed tears if that had happened, but I don't think that was his goal. The second thing, which I think is also just a subtle kind of um, um, conception that we come to the text with, is that Bilam had no idea what was going to happen next. Meaning, Balak takes him to a place and says, take a look at them and curse them. Okay, Balak, Bilam says to Balak, here's altars, bring up an ox and a ram at each altar. And then let me see what happens. And he comes back and God puts the words in his mouth and he says, beautiful bracha. And as far as Bilam is concerned, that's it. And then when Balak says, let's try somewhere else, Bilam says, all right, I'm here. You paid me. I'm here for the ride. But that this isn't part of Bilam's plan. I don't think that's the case. I think that Bilam, from the beginning, intends all four of these brachot. Or conversely, or shall we say alternatively, because God is prophesying through Bilam and feeding Bilam these words, God has intent that this is going to happen over the course of these four blessings. In other words, we can't look at the blessings independently. We have to look at them as a unit. So let me demonstrate both of those uh, misconceptions, or shall we say what I think is the more accurate read. Let's start with the first one. The first one is, what was Balak's interest? And I think Nigel's right that that's the way most people read it, is that uh, Balak's interest was in seeing Bnei Israel be destroyed. However, let's take a look at the story itself. What happens? The very beginning. So the first thing is Balak sees what we just read about and here in Chutzlitz we're going to read about this week, which is Am Yisrael's victory over Sichon and Og, who were the Amorite, well, Sichon was an Amorite king who migrated from the West Bank to the East Bank and conquered it, and then we beat the pants off him, and we took the that part of the East Bank. Balak saw that. Moab was very afraid of our army. That's Am, of course, in, in early parts of Tanakh, usually means army, because we were huge. They were sick of us and frightened of us. And by the way, that's a term that we last heard, if you remember, in the very beginning of the Mitzrayim narrative, by Akutsu Nebnei Israel. All right, they were, they just were fed up. So Moab turns to the elders of some of the Bedouins who live nearby, who are Midian, and they say the following. Sorry, it's hard to read. This congregation is going to eat up, and notice, he doesn't say am, and I'll explain why. He's going to eat up everything around just like an ox eats up the vegetables. Now, let's clarify what's happening. The word am, again, in early parts of Tanakh, usually means army. Kahal, on the other hand, means congregation. <clears throat> what is that that Balak is really afraid of? He's not afraid of a military incursion. He's afraid that this group that has just m- marched through, and they're basically the 500-pound bear. Where does a 500-pound bear sleep? Wherever he wants. They've camped out at my doorstep, and they're not moving. And I'm afraid that they're going to use up all of my resources. They're going to eat everything up. And you'll take a look. You'll see it a little bit later in his words. 
לאג מצבור אנחנו הביתה, היא וישלח מלאכים אל בלעם בן באור פטורה אשר לנהר ארץ פני עמו לקרוא לו, he sends messengers all the way up to Mesopotamia, by the way this is going to take a few weeks in each direction, לאמור הנה עם יצא ממצרים, and what's his statement, this army has left Egypt, הנה כיסה את עין הארץ, they have covered the entire land, I can't see the land anymore, there's so many people, והוא יושב ממולי, and he's sitting at my doorstep essentially, I want you to come and curse these people because they are more powerful, meaning this army is more powerful than I am, meaning I can't use military action to dislodge them, because what would I like to do? Maybe I can smite him. Now, smite him doesn't mean destroy him, as you will see. I'll drive him out. In other words, Balak's concern is resources. And if you know anything about the Middle East, you know resources are spare. The most important resource, of course, we're talking about is water, which was in the background of the 67 wars, you know, one second. And, um, and Balak is concerned that his resources are going to be depleted because of this huge nation that's camped there and isn't moving so quickly. And he doesn't know that they're waiting for Moshe Rabbeinu to give his last testament and uh, to move on because the decree has already happened and he's not going to, they don't know that. All they know is this people have camped there and they're going to eat everything up. Now, let's keep in mind that in Parshat Chukat, which again, Dovi, you've already read, we're going to read this week. In Parshat Chukat, when Am Yisrael is marching through Jordan, the message that they send out to Edom and to Moab, to Ammon is, I will mar- let me please go through your land. And if we drink any of your water, we'll buy it. <coughs> the issue is water. So if we come through, we'll pay for any resources that we use. Now, none of them allowed them. Sichon, who was an interloper, also didn't allow them. But, they, but Sichon, we were allowed to go to battle against. We fought them. We beat them. And now we're camped at Balak's foot, uh, front doorstep. And he's concerned that we're going to eat up the, of the resources. That's the concern, which means what is it he wants Bilam to do? He wants Bilam to curse them, either so they should just get up and leave, because this is a cursed place, or else that they'd be weakened enough that he, with his smaller army, can threaten them and get them to move. That's what his concern is. Okay, Jason, you had a question. Uh, yeah, what I was going to say is, so clearly the Havane Kakmalo from uh, Paro does not get transmitted to him. Because it's it has that similar sound, meaning that you gave sure years ago where Paro thought this nation was building up and it's going to go to war against him. Here, it's not a war. That's why Paro calls us an arm. Um. They've got a bigger army than we do. Right. Correct. But it's so, not war, but it's a different type of war. It's an economic war. because we're No, here it's not a war. It's not talking about a war. He's just no, it's not a war. I'm saying it's an economic resource issue. Right. Now, he's not talking about the, the concern that Am Yisrael is going to go to war against us and beat us. No, they're just going to eat up the food. Exactly. And therefore, and we can't dislodge them because they got a mighty army. They got two yeah. things going for them. One is they are so populous that we can't dislodge them and they're a threat. And second of all, they got a mighty army because we saw what they just did to Sichon. So we can't force them out militarily. We need someone to curse them for that purpose. Okay. I want to put that in because we have to remember if that's what Bilam's job is, then we have to look at Bilam's words in that light. Okay. The second thing is, uh, I'm, I'm claiming that the brachot are all intended, meaning 
that it's not as if Bilam gets up there and says the first very short bracha. We're going to look at all of them. And then, surprise, surprise, Balak wants him to do another one. It's all planned. Now, again, it could be that Bilam has no clue and God's running the store and God knows that Balak's going to try two more times and therefore that's what it does. I'm not concerned with that. But let me demonstrate it to you. If we take a look here at the, at the brachot and, and look at the structure of the brachot themselves, you could see, first of all, that each one of the brachot, the, I'm talking about three brachot and a fourth. And this follows the pattern that we've seen so many times in Tanakh of three plus one. There are three brachot that are given to Am Yisrael per the current situation. And then there's a fourth, which is eschatological. It's about the future. Now, each one of these brachot starts, and I color-coded it, with uh, an introduction to the bracha. And the introduction is always about Bilam's role and maybe Balak's role in this. Then, in the first two brachot, there is an apologia, which says, I can't curse. You want me to curse? I can't curse. I can only bless. Notice, though, that in the first one, he says, how can I curse if God hasn't cursed? And in the second one, he says, I can only, God is blessed and he won't take it back. So we move from curse, negating the curse, to affirming the blessing. Notice that that section is already missing in the third one. There's no red. And then the main content is in purple, royal purple, and that is um, the the actual blessing. Now, you notice something interesting happening in the blessing. And again, I'd like to demonstrate that this is a planned and elegant structure. The, the couplet, Yaakov and Yisrael, as a team, show up seven times in this section. One time in the first bracha, three times in the second bracha, twice more in the, sorry, once more in the, uh, in the final bracha, the third, which gives us five. And then if you take a look here, you will see it shows up again twice more in the final bracha, meaning number four, together creating a what we call a heptad, uh, which is seven times that it shows up. Um, in other words, the, there's, a, there's a, a deliberate structure that's happening. Not only that, but if you look at bracha number two, and I'm just doing this to demonstrate that the brachot are connected and are planned. The second bracha has a line, El Mitzrayim God took them out of Mitzrayim like a wild beast, right? And the exact phrase shows up in the third bracha, except instead of motziam, it's motzio. Not only that, but in the second bracha, the nation is compared to a lioness and a lion, and in the third bracha, like to a lion and to a lioness, right? So there's clearly this dialogue going on between these brachot. More than that, you can see that in the first bracha, and again, we're going to look at all of them in detail. In the first bracha, you see the, the couplet, Erenu and Ashurenu. I will see him and I will look down on him. And that same phrase shows up in the fourth bracha, the final bracha, um, which is at the beginning, Erenu v'lo ata, Ashurenu v'lo karot. The second bracha has the, uh, the use of the word El, actually shows up several times. El is a name for God, and that is used here powerfully in the final bracha, Mi Yichyem Misumo El. 
The third bracha uses a relatively uncommon word, which is machatz, to smash. And that's another word that shows up, In other words, each one of these three brachot provides a source for the final bracha. The final bracha bringing a sum to them together. So the reason I'm pointing this out is that we have to look at these three plus one brachot as a unit and not as independent pieces. They are planned and they grow in intensity. But in order to understand them, we have to remember the background. Balak has hired Bilam to curse the people to get them to leave. Or shall we say, to weaken them enough that we can drive them out with a military threat, not to destroy them. Let's now see what it is that Bilam's brachot say. Because the bracha is the opposite of the kolah. As a matter of fact, in Sefer Dvarim, what do we read? God up, overturned the, the kola into a bracha. Okay? So now, we're only going to look at the, the purple, the brachot. It starts with, I see him, this nation, from the top of mountains, which sounds like Bilam describing his own circumstance, and says, Now let's think about how that impacts on, on the statement. On the, on the, on the goal, on the purpose here. This nation dwells by itself and is not considered among the nations. Now, what does that mean? It could mean saying that Am Israel is going to do whatever they want to do. They don't care about anybody else. And you can't convince them differently and you can't budge them. It can also be that they just aren't considered like a regular nation, meaning the way that God, the way that their destiny, however it is, plays out, is something you can't map out with other histories, which, by the way, we know is historically true about Am Yisrael. We don't fit any schematic of history. And then he says the following, essentially saying, Am Yisrael is innumerable. It's a way of rephrasing the bracha to Avraham. And, of course, that directly speaks to, to Balak's concern, but it's basically saying, tough, too bad. They are huge. And guess what? You're not going to be able to move them. And now Bilam essentially says, I wish I could be part of them. Which, by the way, is not a very comforting thing for Balak. I don't care about that. All right, second bracha. Bilam moves the bar up. Which may mean that Am Yisrael is pure and blameless, or it may mean God will not see anything sinful about them, which changes the tone of the entire scene. And that is, in order for me to be able to get God to agree to curse them, we've got to find some fault in them, and there's no fault. And take a look. God is with them as their king. He took them out of Mitzrayim. And now we get to what's the real crux of this whole thing. Am Yisrael does not participate in and is not affected by the world of magic, which means me trying to curse them will not work unless God agrees. I can't pull shtick to try to, to, try to get the curse to happen. And since we already know that God loves them and God will not see or identify any sinful behavior, it's a lost cause. Not only 
does God have that tremendous favor for them, but God even informs him them of his own doings. God gives us information. That's what the beginning of Breshit, about God's own plans, right? Which is, which is, um, uh, give me the opposite of what you're looking for. You're looking for a distance from God. This is, by the way, expressed in Tehillim Kufem Zayin, Magid Dvarav Yaakov Mishpatav Yisrael Lo Asachem God shares secrets with us, intimate secrets with us. He doesn't share with anybody else. And as a result of that, Am Kalaviyakum, Am again the army. This army gets up like a lioness, the Chari Nasa, and grows powerful like a lion. He won't go to sleep until he has his prey. Now, important to note, Am Yisrael has not threatened Moab at all. As a matter of fact, the opposite. In Parsha Chukat, Am Yisrael comes to Moab and says, let me pass through, and Moab says, no, and we move around. And in Sefer Dvarim, we hear about it. In, in Parsha Dvarim, that we were not allowed to attack Moab, and if Moab didn't, didn't allow us through, we had to go around. Which means we're not directly threatening their land. Which means Bilam subtly, or not so subtly, is telling Balak, listen, you can get out of this, not nearly as whole as you wanted to, but you can survive this encounter. You know how you survive this encounter? Don't do anything. You wanted me to weaken them to the point where you could drive them out. Ain't happening. However, if you don't provoke them, they won't be your enemy. And then you have a chance. Because guess what? If you provoke them, they are like a lioness, like a lion. They will not finish until they've finished you off. Okay, and that's the second bracha. Balak tries it again, we move to the third bracha, and now we get into a whole different territory. I want you to see how these things have grown. Bilam takes a look at Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael, which is an army, set up as an army camp, but it's a unique army because it's an army of families. Remember, we travel as an army. We have Machane Yehuda and Machane Ephraim on the other side, and on one side Machane Ruben, the other side Machane Dan, the Mishkan in the middle. We're all camped like that. Because we're an army. As a matter of fact, how do we reckon the camps? We count the soldiers. And yet, it's an army with the families along. Somewhat strange. And so watch what Bilam says when he looks at the camp. Ma tovu Your tents are so good. Mishkinotecha Yisrael. And maybe he's even alluding to the fact that this is a family army. They are like um, like rivers. Now, by the way, we're in the desert, like rivers and like gardens next to a water, next to water. Ahalim here is aloe. This is like cedars next to the water. And that, of course, evokes the picture in Yumiahu Yudzayan, right? And Tilim Aleph, like a tree next to the water. Again, this image of lots and lots of water. And what's that coming from? I believe that what Bilam is pointing to is the fact that the tents are tents where husbands and wives live together. And there's fruitfulness, and there's children being born in the midst of this army. And now he moves it up, and that's why I put a space in. The arom me'agag malko, the tinase malchuto, and again, the notion of malchut is intensified. In the first bracha, 
Jewish monarchy doesn't exist. In the second one, it shows up once, and it's God is king. And now, in the third, it shows up twice, and it's Am Yisrael's king. And Am Yisrael's king will become greater than Agag. And Agag seems to be a uh, a royal name among the Amaleki families, because Amalek's going to show up. This is not the Agag of Shaul, but Agag seems to be a royal name in that family, because you'll see Amalek plays a critical role here. And again, El Motzio Mitzrayim Ketafot Reim Lo. Again, they're going to smash their enemies. Again, they lie down like lion. They don't go to sleep until they've had their prey, and then they go to sleep, and nobody's going to wake them up. And how does he end the brachot? Beautifully. Anybody who blesses you on Israel is blessed. Which means, by the way, Bilam is patting himself on the shoulder. I just got a bracha. And Racharu, anybody who curses you is cursed, which of course is evoking Avraham. Now, if you notice in the first bracha, he prefaced it by saying, I can't curse. The second one, he said, I have to bless. He gave no such introduction to the third, but at the end of the third, he brought them together and said, Anybody who blesses you is blessed. Anybody who curses you is cursed. It's a beautiful, this whole thing. Is a beautifully well-organized, well-structured series of brachot that takes us from, <clears throat> look, they're mighty. Don't mess with them and don't provoke them. And ultimately, they are going to be ruling. But they're not going to be ruling here. They're going to be ruling in their own land. So you don't have to be afraid of that yet. Balak at that point gives up. And Bilam turns around and said, I'm not done. This is when things get interesting. He says, I'm not done. And Bilam turns around, and this is the end of what he says, and he gives his own speech, and again in the green is his introduction. If you remember in the opening line, I see him from the top of the mountains. And now what does he say? I'm seeing him, but not now. I'm looking down on him, but not something nearby. Meaning, what I'm telling you now is not about right now. Everything I told you about is right now. Who Am Yisrael is. Now let me tell you who Am Yisrael is going to be. Am Yisrael is going to go into their land, they're going to leave you alone. And you'll have a respite for a while. And then, Darach Kochav Miyakov becomes Shem Yisrael. There's something very powerful about Darach Kochav Miyakov, which, of course, Rabbi Akiva Darshan as being about Bar Kospa, and that's why he named Bar Kochba, is Kochav was also a source of Avodah Remember, this entire thing is rejection of pagan thinking. So darach kochav miyakov, darach is something that you, when you pull the bow back, Yaakov shoots the stars. And a ruler comes from Israel. And what's that ruler going to do? Umachatz pate moab. They're going to smash the corners of moab, the edges of moab territory. is emanated somewhere in eastern Jordan. And they're going to destroy them too. Vahaya Edom Yeresha. They're going to then inherit Edom. These are all the nations, by the way, that we circled and didn't go through. We circumnavigated and didn't go through in Parshat Chukat. Vahaya Edom Yeresha, Vahaya Yeresha, Seir Evav, Seir, part of Edom. Vahisrael Osechayel. And Israel is going to just continue to be successful and get wealthy. Vahyerd Mi Yaakov. A ruler will come out from Yaakov. Vahid Sarid Meir. And they'll get rid of all of the. Remnants from a city. In other words, this is down the pike. 
Now he looks and he sees Amalek. Now what does he see Amalek? Prophetically. Amalek's not, not physically there. Now Bilam has moved up a notch. He's not only looking at the future of the nation that's in front of him, he's looking at nations that aren't even there, but are in the orbit of Am Yisrael. So far he's mentioned Moab, B'nai Sheit, and Edom. Number four in the middle is, because middle of seven is four, Vayarat Amalek, Vayar what does he say about Amalek? Reshit Koyim Amalek. Now that's a weird thing. Amalek is some relatively small group of Bedouin tribes. They are the first of the nations. What does that mean? Maybe because they're the first nation to attack Am Yisrael. And their end is destruction. Amalek will be destroyed. And now, he sees the Keni. The Keni is the Midanim. You have a strong place you're going to live. The Keni, by the way, were friendly with us. But ultimately, Assyria may take you captive, if that's how we read the Pazuk. And then he looks and says, who can ever live if God is angry at them? And there will be ships that come from Kitim, which is very likely Cyprus. And they'll all be destroyed. Essentially, the scene that Bilam describes here is one where Am Yisrael is mighty throughout the Middle East and destroys all its enemies. And it almost, it comes close to the picture that we see of David and Shmuel Bet Perichet, where he takes all the way to the Euphrates and everybody there is, is giving tribute. What do we see in this whole piece? We have to remember that Bilam was first summoned by Balak in order to curse the army so that they would be weak enough that Balak could use military action to move them out of the way. Bilam, um, Bilam's first bracha, Bilam continues says throughout, which is, I can't do anything unless God says so. Whatever God puts in my mouth, I'm going to say. Why Bilam is treated the way that he is later on in Tanakh and in Chazal is something we've talked about in other times. But Bilam says, I'm loyal to God. Whatever God says, I'm loyal to Hashem. And whatever Hashem says, that's what I'm going to say. The first bracha, and again, it's a series that's planned. The first bracha is, they are just way numerous. Nothing you can do about it. The second one is, if you provoke them, they'll kill you. So your best bet is just to sit and, lit and, and, and wait. And they're actually not going to do anything right now. And they don't. And the third one is, but ultimately, they're going to move into the land and they're going to establish a kingdom which will be the powerful kingdom. But that still is not really a threat to Balak. In a sense, Bilam's brachot are also advice to Balak. Just stay where you are. Let them be here. Resources are gone. Okay, you'll be able to survive and move on from it. And then, because remember, three plus one is a common biblical motif. In bracha number four, which is not about Am Yisrael that we're looking at, but Am Yisrael in the future, and includes nations that are not present, but nations that are all over the Middle East, Bilam then gives Nivuah about Am Yisrael's ultimate power uh, throughout the Middle East and overpowering these nations. What we've seen here over the course of the past 30 minutes or so is that unlike our starting conception, 
that Balak wanted to destroy Amisra. We saw that Balak's interest in getting them to move. And unlike the common concept perception that each of these brachot stands on its own, because Bilam had no, no reason to think that there was going to be a second attempt or a third attempt, and the only one that he initiates is the fourth, is that it seems, at least in retrospect, that all four of them are a planned unit of three plus one. They interact with each other. They also, all three of them interact with number four. We saw that. What is it that Bilam is expressing in these brachot? Because again, what is it that Hashem is putting in Bilam's mouth that Balak needs to hear? Essentially, these people are like no other people. You can't think to strategize against them the way that you strategize against anybody else. They are God's people. God has a unique and intimate relationship with them. And when God chooses to, he will see nothing wrong with them. They'll be absolutely blameless. And there's no way that you can get God angry at these people. Your best bet is to let sleeping lions lie. And just let them be. And then, because they're not establishing their kingdom here, let them move into their land. You have something to worry about maybe a few hundred years from now. In the meantime, stay in Moab and, uh, and enjoy the resources that you have.